lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, it would really help us out if you could write a review wherever you listen, share it with a friend and give it a star rating and click follow or subscribe in whatever app you listen in. All that really helps us out. And also if you are not following us on Instagram and Facebook, you can follow along at beautiful shifts underscore podcast. And that's where we share our current and upcoming episodes, photos of our guests and other fun content. So thank you. Yep. Thanks. Hey, Marina, welcome to our podcast today. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Um, So I know Marina because our husbands worked um, together when we first moved back to Utah. And I actually think it's really funny because they became quick friends. Like, and then our family would always joke, oh, Mitch this, Mitch that, like your husband. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) because Nate would always say, well, Mitch said, or Mitch and I had a conversation, or we couldn't stop laughing about this or that. So he's kind of famous in our house because, um, it just always stories about Mitch come up. So yeah. So our husbands work together, um, for like, I mean, since we've lived here, so 10 years and then they don't work together any, well, sort of still kind of work together in a different way, but still chat a lot and are good friends. So. Yeah. Well, I'm used to that. When I first moved to Utah, Mitch is from Utah, but I'm not. And so everybody knew Mitch. Um, and all of my friends were somehow connected to Mitch and my whole world was somehow connected. So I had to, it took a little while to find my own path. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. He's a very just friendly guy, you know, very, makes you feel comfortable really quick and like yep. you're good friends with him super quick. So we were yep. happy to, yeah, get to know your family and meet you and through our husbands. So likewise. Yes. So, um, yeah. So Lindsay will read, um, your bio and then we'll get into your story. All right. Okay. Marina Baginski Lowe is an advocate and lobbyist focused on civil liberties issues. She currently represents Equality Utah as well as other nonprofits on issues such as LGBT rights and reproductive freedom. In this role, she cultivates relationships with elected officials from U.S. congressmen and senators to state legislators to local city council members across the state to further the protection of LGBT rights in Utah. Over the years, she has successfully drafted and passed numerous bills in the Utah State Legislature on topics from bail and policing reform to prison and jail conditions to strengthening Fourth Amendment protections in the face of new and emerging technologies. Ms. Lowe has also worked with the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association in the Appellate Division and at the international law firm of Morgan Lewis Bokius LLP in San Francisco, concentrating on commercial litigation as well as intellectual property counseling and litigation. Ms. Lowe grew up in Northern California and before graduating from the University of California Hastings College of the Law, spent two years working in marketing at Hewlett Packard in Grenoble, France. Marina is a wife and daughter of two daughters who are 12 and 14 years old. Well, thanks for that description. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, yeah, it's always a little awkward to, have your <laughs> to hear about yourself. Out. Yeah. You right. All your, yeah. Totally. It has been funny. People's response are like, oh, bio. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, what do I say? Yeah. But that's awesome. Obviously we have yeah. a lot to chat about there, but, um, so today I guess we're gonna talk about quite a few transitions. Um, I thought of Marina being on because I knew that she had lived in quite a few different places 
growing up. And I thought that was, um, would be interesting to talk about because a lot of us just have lived in one or two places in our life. And then also losing her, both of her parents at a young age, um, is also a hard transition. I mean, as I lost my mom and it's, um, super hard. So I can't imagine losing both of my parents at the age of 40. Um, and then some transitions in her career. So she worked for the ACLU, um, and then working with Equality Utah and then, um, so, and you went, did you work as you worked as a lawyer, right? First, because you, that's where you met Mitch. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. So lots of different transitions. So we can just start with the first one of maybe talking about the different places you lived and why you moved there and your experiences there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, I think transitions, it's just sort of talking about that more broadly. I think it's such a great idea that you guys decided to focus a podcast on transitions because they're, they're often hard um, and scary, but they're also the place where you can have the most growth. And I think looking back and reflecting back on your life, they're, they're the points in time um, where, where sort of you gain the most insight and knowledge, and they tend to be sort of these valuable um, change points in your life that have so much to offer. So I think it's such a great idea to, to dig into the different ways that transitions have impacted people's lives. When I think back, um, you know, I, I've lived in a lot of different places and, and those are transitions. It's challenging to arrive in a place where you don't know anybody. Um, in my case, I lived in several different places where I didn't necessarily speak the language or understand the culture. And um, it forces you to dig deep and um, to to sort of put yourself out there and to be vulnerable in a way that um, in the end, I think it just gives you so much back. Um, I was born in a different country. I was born in England. Um, so I guess my my um, living abroad and, and living Starts in different there. places started early. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, That wasn't my own choice, of course. Um, my parents were um, living in England because my dad was going to school um, at Oxford. And, and I was, you know, I was actually at an event just yesterday where people, um, as part of the introductory event, you had to come up with some fun fact about yourself. And my fun fact that I always go to in those situations is that I was born on campus in on-campus housing at a university because oh, wow. um, I don't think many people were. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Wow. At um, Oxford. Yeah. You're born in Oxford. That's wow. an impressive. Sorry, sophisticated yeah. to start your life that way. Yeah. At Oxford. I didn't, I didn't go there myself, but I was born on campus. Mm. Um, yeah. And my parents, my dad was going to graduate school there. And so they had a tiny little apartment on campus, um, in the on-campus housing. And, um, My mom was so dedicated to making sure that I had a smooth transition as opposed to a rough transition into the world. She'd been reading um, all of these books on the best way to deliver a baby. And she read somewhere that it was ideal for a baby to be delivered into an environment that felt exactly or as close as possible to the to the womb. Um, And so that meant um, making sure that the room was the same temperature. And so I was born at the end of November um, and my mom cranked up the heat in their tiny apartment to like 80 degrees and labored. Um, I I just can't imagine now having, you know, delivered babies myself. I can't can't imagine a hot room. (laughs) Sounds horrible. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, (laughs) But that initial transition, I guess, into the world was a smooth one for me um, because I went from a warm place to another warm place. Um, So that she would do that. (laughs) (laughs) True motherly love. Um, So that was like my first experience, I guess, living abroad. And um and then I had, um, you know, my, my, my dad's family um, 
was in Europe still uh, when I was a young child. And so I spent almost every summer um, in Switzerland, which was just an incredible experience um, and, and one that I really cherish spending time with family. Um, but it definitely set me apart from my peers. Most of my friends were hanging out in the summer, riding bikes, doing stuff together, sleepovers. And we would always leave at the beginning of June and be gone most of the summer. Oh, wow. Um, so did you still country. live in England at that point and went to Switzerland? Or No, no. Oh, we came okay. home, uh, went back to the United States. My dad um, went to medical school in the United States. And, oh, okay. and yeah, so lived in the United States after that in California. Okay. Um, but would still go back to Europe pretty much every summer. And then my next um, sort of experience living abroad, um, when I was uh, a senior in high school, actually, I guess I was a junior when my father announced that he'd been invited to be a visiting professor in Japan for a year, um, (laughs) and that we were all moving in July to the northern island of Japan. It's called Hokkaido. Um, And so that was... um, you know, a bit of a shock when you're a junior in high school, you have all these ideas about things that you want to do in high school. Right. And um, being at a small international school in Japan really wasn't part of my plan. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, no. Um, but it, again, you know, was a, a really wonderful experience. And and actually different than um, some of the other places that I've lived, Japan really provided an opportunity um, that I think everybody should feel at some point in life, um, which was to just really understand what it feels like to look different, Mm -hmm. to be visibly so different than everyone else and to sort of understand um, that, you know, I mean, you can get a a different um, understanding and appreciation of what sort of discrimination can feel like. Not that I was discriminated against, but I think to feel so visibly different is an important lesson um, to remember what that feels like. It can feel really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I, a lot of us never have to experience that yeah, that's or, right. or wouldn't even know how to experience, don't have the opportunity to move or anything. So you would never experience it in your lifetime. That's yeah. Yeah. And when you live in an insular place where everyone sort of looks like you or thinks like you or um, dresses like you, et cetera, um, it's really easy to feel comfortable, but when you feel, um, so obviously different, I think it, um, well, to me, it was a it was a good reminder that I took back with me, um, and perhaps sort of informed some of my choices in terms of um, employment down the road, and in wanting to, you know, advocate for and work for people who are different, um, and and to remember that, um, you know, that, that what that feeling feels like, and that we're all still humans, and all still have valuable qualities and rights and and just because we're different doesn't mean that that should be diminished in any way. So I had kids, yeah. I remember going to school who would point at me and say Gaijin, which means foreigner. And that felt funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm sure. Yeah. How long were you in Japan then for your junior so, and senior year? No, I was just there for seven months. My dad was there okay. a full year, but because of the way that the school year worked, we were there for seven months. So, mm. wow. but what a cool experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you just took your, you just went back there recently, right? To Japan. I did. Yeah. I went back with my family. Um, my kids had never been to Japan and um, it was great. It was a, it's a different experience when you visit. I think um, mm-hmm. when you live there, it's, you know, you, you, you realize how insular that culture really is. And, you know, if you're not Japanese, it's impossible to fit in. Um, when you're there as a visitor, it's, it's a really wonderful and amazing place to go. And so I w- it was great mm-hmm. to go back. I got to see a friend that I went to school with in high school that I hadn't seen in, you know, 20 oh, some odd years. Great. So wow. that was fun. Actually, so my husband actually served at LDS Mission in Tokyo. So, oh, wow. 
Yeah. So he has, yeah, he, it's like so different. He said, and it was a hard, I think a really hard adjustment for him being thrown into that culture. I mean, even living with, you know, another American and having anyway. So I know just from what he said that it's very different and, but you know, the fact I I was just thinking about how cool it is that you had that opportunity because now it's shaped so much of what you've done. Like, and you could have never guessed at that age, you know, that young age, probably what that would lead to in, in the the way it would open up your mind to these, you know, just other people, like you're saying people that might be different. And it's yeah. just neat how life, how, how life works out that way. That's right. And you just have to yeah. follow the path. I remember my father always telling me that, you know, the, the between it, getting from point A to B is rarely a straight path. It's often sort of a circuitous path. Um, and you have to sort of be open to the little twists and turns that life takes yeah. you down. Um, no, they lead you to places. Yeah, my um, my daughter's soccer coach that she had for club soccer, uh, we were just talking to her the other day, and they have an opportunity to move their family to Africa for a year. Mm. And her daughter is going to be a senior, her oldest, and then, I, then down from there, they have four kids, and she's like, oh, they're kind of, you know, nervous, and they're, how come you're doing this to us, you know? Yep. But I said, I'm like, you know, I think, and I'm sure you've thought of this, they will thank you later. Like this might yes. be a hard adjustment and, but what an amazing experience to, like, and they will be the different ones over there and they will feel what you felt and who knows where they can go from there. Just yep. having that experience. So unique. And just to be able to experience a different culture, mm-hmm. like as a kid and to really immerse yourself in it, I just, it just sounds yeah. so cool to me. I mean, I know yeah. there'd be yes. challenges with it, but very unique. So those are the opportunities you always have to say yes to. I think no matter what mm. good or bad, whatever comes out of it, you have to say yes um, yeah. so I hope, I hope yeah. they go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They are going. They, oh, they are, yeah. That's cool. I think they, they leave won't next regret month, it. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It'll be really cool. I'm excited for them. So were you an only child or did you have siblings? No, I have a younger brother. Um, okay. he's about five years younger than me. Um, and so okay. he went to Japan with me too. Um, obviously. And, uh, yeah, he was also born in the UK. He was born in Scotland. Um, oh, so wow. yeah, we both so you have... lived in Scotland for a while. Too? I didn't live in Scotland. Well, oh. I guess my very briefly, my dad at this point, um, had gone back to medical school and he was doing a residency, um, oh. and did one of his rotations during his residency in Scotland, um, oh, partially okay. because he wanted to be close to some family that lived there. So my aunt still mm. lives in Scotland and, uh, my brother was actually born at my aunt's house. Oh, <laughs> Lots oh. of so home your mom was a home birther. Like she yeah. was wanting the most natural wow experience that was kind of like i mean i don't know if progressive but unique even for back then i feel like you know well in the united states yes but not in the uk it's very common to have home births Mm. in the uk um and my mom i remember her telling me about how amazing the experience was when i was born um the midwives would come to her house every day for several weeks afterwards to care and check in on her Um, that would be nice she said it was actually a a really wonderful experience as opposed to sort of what we get here in the United States. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> wow. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we need to totally different here, culture yeah. idea. Yeah. Thing. Like, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. And she also said they brought her like a Guinness the day after, um, that was oh. supposed to be good for the mother's milk. Oh, funny. She's like, well, it's the culture. I'll go with it. <laughs> That's right. Doctor's uh, orders. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Hmm. So where were your, actually, I'm just curious, where are your parents from? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of travel in my blood for sure. Um, So my dad is, um, was from the East coast from Boston. Um, He was born in New York, but grew up in Boston. My mom's from Colorado. Um, 
but my dad's family came over from Eastern Europe um, just a little bit after World War II. So they were, oh, okay. they were immigrants um, who landed in this country and had to sort of start all over again. Um, but they were well-traveled before that, had you know, traveled all over Eastern Europe, spoke many languages. Um, they were both doctors, which um, for my grandmother at least was rather unusual at that time. She was um, a really smart woman. She graduated high school at age 16 and went directly to medical school. And, oh, wow. um, you know, in, oh. the, in the 30s or whenever that was, um, was pretty Super unusual rare, yeah. Yeah, oh, to have so a cool. woman be a doctor. And when yeah. they came to the United States, both had to start all over again um, and, um, you know, became doctors in this country as well. Um, but my parents both traveled a lot too. In fact, they got married, um, they met and got married rather quickly, six months after they got married, but in, in some part because they wanted to join the Peace Corps and the Peace oh. Corps wouldn't send people together unless they were married. Um, so they got married and they were sent to Afghanistan where they spent the first two years of their marriage living oh, in a, wow. a mud, yeah, a mud so you house. Have a long line of, um, <laughs> yeah, wow. world travelers. And... Yes, they were adventurous people and, and liked to travel. So I think it's probably no surprise that that passed on to me it's as in well. your blood too, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. so interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I would and love then, to talk to them. I know. I know. I wish <laughs> they were really around. Cool. They have some yeah. amazing yeah. stories. And your grandparents. I'm like, someone needs to write a book about them. I know. <laughs> they sound amazing. That's really wow. Cool. What a cool family. Yeah. So Thank what you. were after Japan, where was your next So stop? then when I was in, um, in college, I, I wanted to study abroad. Um, well, I guess early, even earlier than that, my parents sent me to France when I was 13 for a summer and I spent um, a summer with a family um, with, uh, two girls the same age as me. Um, and that was just like an amazing experience. So I was home, homesick for like two seconds. And then after mm -hmm. that got over it and, um, we were in the South of France and we would, you know, sneak out every night after the parents went to bed <laughs> <laughs> and head down to the beach where there was this huge group of kids that we would hang out with every night. It was a really fun summer. So oh, that, nice. that sort of, started my love affair with France. Um, and then I studied abroad in college. I went back to France and then that wasn't enough France for me. So after I graduated from college, I, I moved there um, and lived there for a couple of years in Grenoble, France. Hmm. Oh, that's a great. Wow. That's why, yeah, I know you're fluent in French. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is awesome. My daughter is, um, Whitney is going to study abroad in Spain. Oh, she wonderful. Leaves. We wait, literally we're talking today. We leave a month from today. So I'm oh, excited yeah. for her so to great. have that experience. And she'll live with a host family and she's That's taking the some very best. Um, Spanish classes while she's there. So, mm. but we get to take her over there. So I'm really excited. I've never been to oh, Spain. Yeah. So. I have no doubt she'll have an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell her that what you said, cause she's like, I'm finally getting kind of nervous. Like I'm, you're just leaving me over there. And I was like, mm. I'm going to tell her like for two seconds, you'll be homesick. And then you'll yep. be <laughs> Yeah. And she can listen to this. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was just going to say, I did a study abroad to London in, in college. And then we spent some time, were you in like the Nice area in Southern France or where, um, a tiny little town awesome. called Bondal, which is kind of near Marseille. Okay. We awesome. spent some time, me and my friends backpacked for like 10 days after the program mm -hmm. was done. So me and just three girls and that was my adventure, <laughs> but we spent some time down there in Southern France and it's it was so really beautiful. awesome. So yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, I'm sure that um, Whitney's experience will be life-changing. It just can't help but be when you yeah. are put in a place where you're in a new environment and you're meeting new people and you're forced to sort of put yourself out there and be vulnerable. Right. Um, yes, her life really... will change in ways that are all going to be good. Yeah. And I've already like 
I feel well. So my so Nate was um, my husband was in a at a little Caesars conference in Vegas, and he's like in an elevator, and all of a sudden he starts talking to this guy that owns some little Caesars in Spain, and so he's wow. like, "Oh, my daughter's going to Spain." Well, come to find out, he lives like thirty minutes from Lagronio, which is where she's going, and he is offering to pick us up from one place and take us to another. Wow. He wants to like, you know, he's like, oh, you're not going here. Well, I have to take you here. And we had like a video chat with him. And I was like, wow, people are so kind. Like they just met in the elevator. They chatted a couple more times. And now he's going to like wow. be a chauffeur for us for a couple of days and a tour so cool. guide and take us around to places. He's like, oh, these are the non-touristy places you have to see. And I will take mm. you there. And I was like, oh. wow, people That's are just so amazing. amazing. That is so neat. <laughs> and I love meeting different people from different cultures because it is such a, yeah. Just a neat experience that you can't, you know, replicate. You can't, I don't know, just going down to the Mexican culture to like yeah. to Mexico or I'm just really excited and being in France and stuff. It's so cool. Yeah, totally. There's a richness that I think adds to your life to just meet people who are different than you are. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's something that I just have always loved my whole life. And yeah. Yeah. So. I love that. Okay. So what made you leave France then? Um, well, I just felt like I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, you know, I was working in marketing, which didn't really feel like the right fit for me. Mainly, I just took the job at Hewlett Packard because I wanted to live in France. Um, and so I applied to law school while, while I was in France and, and got in. And so, um, came back, um, to do that and to sort of, you know, become an adult, I guess, <laughs> and have, um, you know, sort of more of an adult life. But I think, you know, that that pull is always there to to want to go back somewhere else. Um, and Chantel, as you know, we travel a lot. My yes. poor husband, every year I'm like, okay, here's where we're going. This is our plan for the year. Yeah, you guys have been to some really awesome places. But I like, yeah, yeah you guys are like my I don't know what I strive to be like. And now I've talked Nate for a while. Nate was like, we, I can't go to Europe until our kids are older. I just can't go across the country. And then we had the opportunity to go to France. And he's like, Oh, never mind. I actually love Europe and I really want to travel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. yes. Don't wait. Now is the time. Exactly. Um, so yeah. And do you usually take your girls when you go or yeah. do you go? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's my so girls cool. have traveled a ton. Um, they, they both have, yeah, been to Europe tons of times. We've been to Africa. We've been to Asia. Um, my daughter is going to France this summer, my oldest, um, oh, awesome. for a language program. Um, so she'll be spending three weeks and part of that time with a host family also. So oh, luckily I've passed that French bug onto her as well. Yes. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I just cool think travel is the best teacher in the world. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, not only do you get to learn about other cultures and meet people who, you know, have a lot to teach you, but you learn a lot about yourself as well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what you're willing to sort of do and, and, you know, how, how courageous can you be? Um, It also teaches you just like really sort of banal, boring things like patience. Um, That's (laughs) part of the reason I wanted my kids to start traveling when they were young. Sometimes the train doesn't come on time. Sometimes we have to wait an extra hour. You know, we have to figure out how to navigate a city that we've never been in before. Um, You know, I think even just having to interact with other people and see different ways of doing things opens your own mind to the the idea that, you know, just because I always saw things in a certain way doesn't mean it's the only way. There are lots of other different ways and perspectives out there. So I just Mm. think there's a lot to be gained from from putting yourself out there and, and leaving the bubble that's comfortable where you live. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I do want that for my kids. I think it's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. It's really cool. All right. So law school. You oh, yeah. Yes. Was that in Northern California, right? <laughs> or no, Southern? 
Northern California. Oh, Northern. Oh, did Mitch go to Southern though, right? Southern California. No, so actually both Mitch and I went to college in San Diego. And oh, San Diego. Okay. Oh. Law school in San Francisco, but different oh. schools. We didn't okay. know each other. Awesome. Okay. That's funny. So you were oh, there, but yeah. didn't know each other until after you were done yeah. with school. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yep. And there's a French connection there too, actually. I met Mitch because um, he was a year ahead of me. Um, and he was already working at the law firm that I ended up working at. I was still a law student at the time. And he was working on a case where he was um, representing an individual from the Congo who was seeking asylum in the United States. And um, the law firm that he was working at, um, you know, put him in contact with the client, but he didn't speak French. And this guy from the Congo, that's all he spoke. And so he said, I need a French translator. And they said, oh, well, we have this law student, Marina, who's going to be coming to work in the fall. Um, you should get in touch with her. She can translate for you. So I was his French translator. Oh, so actually wow. your travel helped you meet your husband. It did. Wow. Your travel has led to a lot of things. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the point that you met him. And were, was that your second year of law school or? Um, no, I met him when I was, yeah, I guess it was my second year of law school. That's right. Okay. Yep. And he was just finished. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. he was already working, so he okay. was a year ahead of me. And then we both worked at this firm in San Francisco for a couple of years, and then he um, got a job offer at Sizzling Platter, which is where where Nate and Mitch met as yeah. well. And mm. so he um, he said, hey, how do you feel about Utah? <laughs> and I was like, well, I was thinking more Paris. <laughs> right. <laughs> Utah. Are you sure you don't want to start that? your career in Europe somewhere? Yeah. Utah really wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. Had you ever been? No, uh-uh. mm. nope. I had never been to Utah. I'd seen it, you know, on TV during the Olympics, so oh, I yeah. knew of its True. existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no other connection at all, except for all yeah. of a sudden your husband is from here. So, how did that decision yeah. go? Like, did you come visit here? And I mean, I'm just curious. Or you know, yeah. How did you decide to make that jump? No, it was pretty. I mean, I had. I guess I had visited. By the time we decided to move, I had come out to visit Mitch's parents maybe once or twice. Um, but it was a hard transition. It really, it really was. Utah is a bit of a culture shock if you're mm-hmm. coming from a place like San Francisco, which is where we moved from. Um, you know, really, really different in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Geographically different, but I think um, culturally and politically was probably the biggest challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I had been living in a really liberal bubble in San Francisco, and this is a very different place. And um, it's the opposite bubble. It's a very conservative yeah, bubble. It's the opposite. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, Mitch always loves to tell the story that when we first moved here, I went out on the front steps of his parents' house and was just crying. Oh. And he came out and I said, this place will never be my home. Oh. <laughs> Where do they live? And what part? They live in the avenues. And oh, so nice. I, well, you know, yeah. the, the image, of course, is me sitting on the front steps, crying, staring at the Capitol, which is That's the, what I was... the building that I work in. <laughs> and it's actually oh. beautiful up there. But yeah, it's I mean, so you're probably beautiful. like, yeah. Oh. So, oh. I mean, and then now, you know, fast forward 16 years, we've lived here. And oh. I, I mean, I can't imagine where else we would live. It's such a wonderful place to live. But, you know, mm. transitions are hard. Oh yeah. Um, and it takes a, it takes a second. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That would be hard. I was gonna say I cried in our first apartment, but that's just cause it had a green carpet in the kitchen and a yellow fridge. So <laughs> Ooh, carpet it's for different kitchen, reasons. Yeah. Definitely worth some tears for sure. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is a kind of a interesting, like traveling and maybe cause I'm from Utah, but I'm like, wow, you traveled all over. And then all of a sudden I can see why you're like, wow, Utah's where we're settling. What? Yeah. <laughs> but I do love Utah. 
They do. Well, and you probably, there are really cool places to visit here as far as, you know, like the national parks and things. Just the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And you guys live up close. It is physically so beautiful. It is. It really is. is. And I feel lucky every day that we live here. Um, But yes, at the time it felt hard. Just that adjustment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, maybe it, um, maybe it just follows my path. Right. In some ways you'd have felt like a foreign country. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. There coming is, in, not very LDS. Yeah. And yeah. Everything. And actually it kind of goes back to probably feeling a little bit like an outsider. Um, like when you're in Japan, yep. you know, here with, like you said, the conservative bubble, you were used to more liberal. There's the LDS yeah, not culture. Up LDS, yeah, yeah. A lot of things. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. And in the work that I do today, you know, I work with a lot of legislators um, up at the Capitol who are LDS and very conservative. And, and there is a different language um, mm-hmm. that that I probably will never speak or know. I, you know, sometimes I joke I need a, a Mormon translator to come with me. <laughs> there are code words and yes, there are, um, there are yeah. rules and things that I just um, I do feel like an outsider. Sometimes I don't know. Yeah, we always joke. Navigate. Nate always jokes with Mitch that like, how are you Utahns? Like he went to Judge Memorial High School. Mm, you like yes. he jokes that you guys don't even know that there's like a South Valley, like Sandy <laughs> River Trail where we are. Yeah. And then like, okay, wait, you haven't been to Lake Powell? Like what kind of Utahns yeah. are you? Like, <laughs> totally. We haven't been south of 21st. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they live their lives up uh, north. So, yeah. Salt yeah. Lake City. So we Which always I joke. do love it, that area I know. Ever, whenever we go. But we should have you guys come out and go to dinner sometime out yes. in the south. Out in the, the scary. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my passport. Just so yeah. Know, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I always mm. joked. He's like, I, I mean, they somehow lived in Utah, but didn't have the Utah experience somehow, or at least mm. our experience. Obviously everybody has a different yes. experience, but he loves to tease Mitch. Cause I think one time oh, our truck got stolen in Salt Lake. Somehow Mitch came and was going to drive us back because they found it. So they just oh. like broke the window, stole it. Remember that? Night? Yes, yes. You were with I, us. Anyways. Was, yeah. And then they, they just drove it down the street and left. They didn't take anything out of it or anything, but Mitch so came weird. to our house to like, do something and we were joking we're like yeah this is a really big trek for you like this is yeah like a foreign country out here. Like, you had to come all the way to he's like how far out is yeah. it where are you oh, oh, but that's funny. cool i'm yeah i do love there's so many great things about utah and yeah, we, i mean i moved I to california for 10 years and i used to it was weird i went through this stage because i loved being somewhere different i'd grown up in utah i loved living in california feeling like i was having a different experience for me and for my kids and then when people would kind of move back to utah because we had a lot of friends from here for a while, I felt bad for him. I was like, oh, well, too bad for you. Yeah. You have to leave California. And then I did get to a point where we were like, okay, where are, where are we at in life? Like our parents are getting older. My mom was sick. I wanted to be near her. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm so excited to move back to Utah. Mm-hmm. It was just this weird little like switch where I'm like, weird. I was so excited to move back here. And I actually really loved being back here. Yeah. Um, just the mountains and my family and I like the four seasons. Yeah. And- yeah. We feel awesome. very fortunate. It is such a lovely place to live and to raise our family and um, yeah, I've found actually great professional fulfillment here as well, too. So I think there's something, you know, as we talked about before, there's always something good that comes out of um, moving somewhere outside of your comfort zone. And I feel like I've grown as a person by um, stepping outside of my liberal bubble and realizing that people, um, once again, think differently than me and their views are just as valid as mine. And it's caused me to do some introspection and um, to have my views grow and expand and change. I, I think there's like no greater quality that a human being can have than the ability to change their mind. Yeah. Um, and I wish there was a little more of that today. Yeah. Um, people seem so entrenched in their positions. Um, but I think if you can be open to changing your mind, that's just a tremendously wonderful quality. Yeah. I yeah. love that. It reminds me of Adam Grant and kind of his Think Again book and just yeah. 
putting yourself on all sides and thinking, yes, yeah. seeing other people's perspectives and not being so entrenched in your own belief system or your own like views on things. And that once we can hear another side of the story, it doesn't mean we even have to like agree, but just change yeah. our view or change how we see, you know, their thoughts or whatever. And then we can find this more middle ground. I think if we did that more completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's hard to do sometimes. When yes. you're yeah. <laughs> but you're making me want to like move. Yeah. Even though I just said I loved you, Tom. <laughs> like I gotta, I gotta have my kids. You know, because my older kids had the experience of living in both places, but they were still pretty young when we moved here. So yeah. I feel like with my younger kids, I'm like I need them to experience, you know, some different things. But yeah, anyway, that's okay. Awesome. You can travel. Yes. Yeah. You can live yeah. Here that's and travel. true. Yes, that is very true. <laughs> okay. Well, that maybe. So did you? Let's see. Now we're to maybe the ACLU. Is that, did you work for the ACLU mm-hmm. here in Utah? I did. Yep. Okay. And I worked for them for about um, 15 years, 16 years, somewhere thereabouts. I still do a little bit of work for them. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were just educating ourselves a little bit. We're just going to read a definition of what the ACLU yeah, d- sure. does because I think it it's just a really, it really does tie into all of your what you did growing up and moving around and some of the thoughts that you've had about opening your mind and helping feeling different in Japan and then crossing, you know, having that be today where you can realize where people are coming from. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is from their website, the ACLU, and it says the American civil liberties union was founded in 1920 and is our nation's guardian of Liberty. The ACLU works in the courts, legislatures, and communities to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed to all people in this country by the Constitution and the laws of the United States. So and I was like, oh, that's yeah. kind of like beautiful. I know. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's not what, what we all cool... want and why we live here. Yeah, totally. Know? And what's important yeah. to everyone. Like that, that's a unifier, I think, across all the political, you know, spectrum of, of views and things I feel like is that matters to people. So that's really totally. neat that you're involved yeah. in that. Well, the ACLU is such a cool organization. I mean, it's an old or old organization. I mean, since the 1920s. Um, it's the organization that's appeared before the Supreme Court more than any other party other than the United United States itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved sort of the principled nature of the ACLU. I don't know if um, either of you are familiar, but the case that probably got the ACLU the most notoriety was um, quite a while ago. It took place in a, a town called Skokie, Illinois, that was a town um, where most of the residents were connected. To, they were ho- Holocaust survivors or the family of Holocaust survivors. And um, uh, the Nazi party wanted to come and do a march right down the middle of Skokie, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And um, the city initially said no, and the ACLU came to their defense, um, the Nazi party, and actually represented them and said, you know, free speech means free speech. Um, wow. And, you know, if the government gets into the business of picking and choosing which speech is acceptable, then then we're all in trouble. And so even speech that is harmful and that we find distasteful and horrible you know, the best um, remedy is just more speech, not silencing that speech. And so the ACLU got a lot of flack for it, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. But to me, that stood out as the reason that I cared about this organization. Um, that principled stance, even representing people that you don't like, um, really resonated with me and, and spoke to me and made me excited to work there. Oh, wow. wow. What year did you say that was? Gosh, I don't remember. It was probably... I don't know, 70s maybe, okay. but I could be wrong. It could have been later. That's so interesting. Wow. Really powerful, I think. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've worked on in Utah then? Is it more, is that how it works? Is you're more based on like the state of Utah? 
Yes. Yeah. So I worked, um, I started out as a lawyer, but then quickly transitioned to working um, with the legislature, which ended up being an amazing opportunity. Um, right about the time that I started working at the ACLU is when I got married and started a family. And um, Utah has a short legislative session. So our legislature runs from January to March. And then the rest of the year, they meet very, very infrequently, maybe once a month. Um, and so I, I realized this is the perfect job for a working mom. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went to my boss and I said, hey, I'll do all the legislative work um, and I'll be full time from January to March. But I'd love to be really part time the rest of the year so I can be with my kids and um, pick them up from school every day and you know take them to all their activities. And it's really worked out to be an amazing work-life balance for me oh, yeah. um, to feel like I have a professional career um, and one that I can really dig into and sort of deepen and grow in that role. And at the same time, you know, I'm home with my kids nine months out of the year. So yeah, that's wow. sounds pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, that does sound perfect. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Um, yeah, that is perfect, actually. I hope the legislature never changes its yeah. schedule. Yeah, so you can always do that. Um, oh, and I think I, I skipped over. What, at what point, so I know your parents passed away in the yeah. last few years or so, but um, at what point was that? I guess we, you kind of got moved to Utah, worked for ACLU, yeah. had your daughters. And then is that what kind of happens next? Yeah, so my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor when um, I was nine months pregnant with my oldest daughter. Um, and yeah, it was just such a shock. I mean, sort of out of nowhere. Um, so I guess I would have been, I'm trying to think how old I was, 31, oh, so somewhere really around. Yeah. Um, and he, um, he ended up having a series of different treatments. Um, he, he, he was alive to see her born. He was actually alive to see my second daughter born as well. Um, and so ended up living almost six years after his diagnosis, which was really um, unusual given the type of cancer he had. It's called glioblastoma, which is a really terrible stage four brain tumor that is um, essentially non-curable. It's um, a really awful sort of diagnosis. Um, so that happened. And then just a couple of years after that, my mom um, my mom got sick as well. Um, she, uh, in 2000, I guess it was 2017, um, you know, we had been watching her and she had all of these these sort of symptoms that seemed like grief, which was so understandable. She and my father just had a really wonderful marriage. They were so close. Um, they were each other's everything. And so watching her in the wake of losing my father, um, there were all these sort of things that just seemed like grief, things like um, inability to sleep and she was losing weight. Um, but it turns out she actually had leukemia. And um, it was sort of interesting when we went in and, and finally saw a doctor, it, it, there were signs that she had actually been sick even before my father, but it was sort of oh, this wow. slow, slow growing cancer. Um, and she'd been focusing all her energy on caring for my dad and, and probably not noticing these sort of very subtle signs and shifts. But, but she passed away really quickly. She was um, diagnosed in um, 2017 in the winter and died in March, 2018. So that was really quick too. And so I found myself in the space of, you know, just a couple of years really um, with no parents at all, which is a really, really odd feeling. Um, there's nothing that makes you feel quite so much like a grown up to have no parents yeah, <laughs> anymore. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's very untethering feeling. Um, yeah. So I, I, by no means, you know, people lose their parents at much younger ages. I, I was an adult, so um, I'm grateful for that. I had a wonderful childhood and 
Um, but I am sad for, you know, their loss. They were my close friends and sad to not be able to have all the memories with their grandkids. And yeah, so yeah, I mean, I it's know. hard no matter what age you are when you lose your parents. I know but, it yeah. really is. Yeah. I mean, I lost my mom. It's been almost, it's almost three years. Yeah. And it's the same feelings. I mean, I still have my dad, but it's like, wow, she's missing out on all these things with her grandkids and just her own life and her and my dad being able to retire and do all their plans that they had. And it's so, yeah, so hard. Yeah. Were your parents so living in Utah or in, in California? In California. So that was also challenging, yeah. especially when my, um, when my dad was sick, I was flying out constantly and I had, you know, these two small children and was trying to care for him and give my mom a break. Um, and then same with my mom, her, her illness was so short in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I've, I think about that a lot, like the, you know, what is better and, mm -hmm. and there is no better, of yeah. course but sort of a long prolonged illness versus something that's short and, and both have their challenges and their benefit, you know, benefits isn't even the right word, but um, yeah, that was hard being far away and having to travel. And, you know, when my dad actually passed away, he passed away at home and um, my mom was with him and my brother picked me up at the airport, but I remember my flight was delayed and um, you know, I made it and I got to see him before he passed away, but it's like, it's so hard, you yeah. know, when you're reliant on, you know, is the plane going to land on time? I, you know, I got to get yeah. off this plane. I got somewhere to, I have to be. Yeah. Yeah. That would so hard. Yeah. Cause my mom was right, you know, close and we kind of knew that it was happening and hers was a kind of more like your dad's like a long process, like just slowly getting worse and worse. And so we kind of just knew, yeah. but as hard as it was, it's like, yeah, like you said, there's no better. Like, I don't think, I mean, I haven't lost anybody like suddenly, but it's like, I hated that she had to go through all that pain and that, you know, the stuff, but at the same time, would I, I didn't want to lose her six, eight years earlier either, you know, because that would have been so hard. Every way is hard. Especially a parent. They're just. Every way is hard. I think that. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. But yeah, we all lose yeah. them. That's what's crazy is we say it's so difficult and so hard, but we don't get to choose when they go. And we all, you know, most of the time we outlive our parents in some cases. And yeah, if we're lucky, yeah. if we're lucky, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really hard. And it's given me some insights, you know, watching um, and sort of watching that process happen and, and just realizing that that's a gift as well, even though it's hard. It's hard to watch your parents get older and not be able to do the same things and have challenges. Um, but it's it's a gift. <laughs> Every day is a gift. It really is. Yeah. It's a different perspective. Yeah. And yeah, it makes you appreciate each day for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that is hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, every, I, that's my fear too. Is like, wow, I've lost my mom. And then I, I could yeah. live in fear every day if I think, oh my gosh, is, am I going to lose my dad? I mean, he's super healthy and there's no reason to even think that, but you never, anything can happen. So I have to just enjoy him every day and enjoy life. That's yeah. All we can do. I did for a long time after both of my parents passed away. I felt like I was always on edge waiting for something. You know, I'd hear a siren and it would make me nervous. Like who, and yeah, it's just, it's a hard way to live. You have to just put that aside and just try and live each day and take, say yes to the things, right? To all the things, take yeah. the trips, do the adventures, because you just yeah. don't know. None of us knows. We have to just take the time that we have. Yeah, yeah. if you're dwelling on the past and, th and thinking or having regrets, or if you're scared or nervous about the future, it's almost like you're stepping over the present and you can't live in it because you got one foot in the past and one yeah. in the future. And so that's all we have is today. So to live in it. So yeah. it's hard to yep. do that sometimes, but we have to remind ourselves. Yeah. So. All right. So then, so you said you still kind of work with the ACLU. 
yeah, I do a little bit of work for them. Yep, but but Equality Utah is my primary primary client, and um, it's working on behalf of the LGBTQ community and uh, doing a lot of the same stuff. I work up at Capitol Hill, work with um, legislators all the time, working on really tough issues, um, truthfully. But I think that's probably why I enjoy it. Um, I love the challenge of you know, working with people who see things differently than me, who have different values, who grew up in different ways, and um, nevertheless, digging in and finding ways that we can find common ground. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been really successful during the time that I worked at both the ACLU and Equality Utah. I've been able to really um, make progress in, in a conservative state um, to really promote um, and pass legislation that's been really protective, not just of the LGBTQ community, but when I was at the ACLU, I worked on voting rights issues. I worked on the First Amendment, um, privacy and technology, criminal justice issues. And, and it's really, um, it feels really great to do meaningful work that actually impacts people's lives every day. Yeah, That's so interesting. This It's like a subject that I'm so interested in, but I don't know a whole lot about it. But I feel like I would love to hear, I mean, we have you here, so I'm excited to hear, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like dive, I think it'd be so interesting to learn. And I just love the way you're explaining it of, trying to find common ground with the, with people. I mean, that's so valuable and you coming with your life perspective and them coming with theirs. And so anyway, yeah, maybe you could tell us like, I don't know, what are some of the issues that you've worked on recently that you might think would be interesting to share about or, or even in the yeah, past? Sure. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you about a bill I worked on just this past session because it's really fresh in my mind. Um, there, um, there's this, um, type of therapy called conversion therapy. I don't know if either of you are familiar, mm -hmm. um, but it's sort of this desire to change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity through therapy. We had worked to get a rule in place. So not a law, but a rule that banned conversion therapy for minors, um, who are particularly vulnerable. Um, and, um, you know, to prevent them being parents or other people bringing their children in and saying, I want to change their sexual orientation or gender identity and having a, a therapist do that. And, you know, there is just like mountains of evidence of, of how harmful this is to young people. Um, conversion therapy sort of back in the olden days involved a lot of physical practices that are just, I mean, barbaric. It's torture, essentially, um, you know, making kids vomit, um, doing other things to sort of um, try and um, teach them to stop being who they are. Um, but increasingly today, what we're talking about is more talk therapy. Um, and the evidence shows that that's just as harmful to young people and leads to really terrible outcomes and, you know, most notably suicide and, and other really harmful things for young people if they're, they're being told that they just can't be who they are. Um, so we had passed a rule a couple of years ago, but the legislature this year decided they wanted to undo the rule. And so there were two um, lawmakers who introduced a bill this year uh, during the legislative session to sort of reinstate conversion therapy, at least conversion therapy, talk therapy. Hmm. Um, so we had to sit down with them. And, you know, I mean, we were at complete opposite sides of the spectrum wow. on this issue. For us, it was like we can have no conversion therapy and they really saw things differently. Um, and I, you know, I can't tell you how many hours I logged with these legislators having these conversations and, you know, a lot of it involved at the beginning, I, you know, I just went in and said, I want to, I want to listen. I want to hear what your concerns are. I want to hear why you're doing this. What, what, you know, I feel like if we can listen and listen authentically, um, there's, there's sort of the ability to sort of understand and, and learn. 
And um, so I did that, like the first meeting, I don't even think I said very much. I just wanted to hear. Right. And um, then I, you know, wrote back a proposal um, of sort of things that I thought we might be able to give on a little bit to sort of answer those concerns and to show that I was hearing um, what this legislator was telling me and that his concerns weren't, you know, stupid, that they were valid and, and you know, had, had merit. Um, and we went back and forth. And in the end, we landed on a bill that bans conversion therapy, but also provides some guidance to counselors and therapists about the sorts of questions that they can ask so that they don't get in trouble with the law and gives them a little bit of guidance. Um, in the end, the bill, um, so it went from a, from allowing conversion therapy to a ban and was passed unanimously by the entire you know, House and the Senate, which I don't think that's happened in any other conservative state, signed by the governor. Um, he had a signing ceremony where he invited everybody to come. And um, it was really a wonderful collaboration. And, and, you know, we sort of started as enemies in quotes, not really, um, but, you know, really on opposite sides and ended in a place where we all feel really good about the outcome. And um, to me, it is just proof that we can always find ways to work together, even on the most contentious issues. And the way you get there is by listening and by being human beings and um, connecting. And um, yeah, you can't always arrive at a compromise and a win, but I think a lot of times you can. Yeah, yeah. that was such a good description of like that, the process of that, because I love that, that you first spent the time just listening. Like, I'm not going to try to argue with you and tell you you're wrong and this is horrible, but like, where right. are you coming from with this? And yeah, that's just... Cause it is hard. Like I'm listening. I'm like, why would you ever want to do that to a person, to a child, to anyone that you'd want to try to right. change them, that you'd use any physical or even talk therapy to try to do that. But I also haven't like heard a lot about their side, why they, yeah. you know, so I would need to take time to listen and it would be hard to not get emotional about it or frustrated with it. Um, but that's the best way to listen and see yeah. their side. And yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. It takes some practice holding my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Just Yeah. Breathe. It won't help if I say what I'm thinking right that's now. That's right. You can go home and say it all to Mitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm just so impressed with what you're doing because I feel like it's so impactful. Like if you think mm -hmm. about it, you're literally like negotiating and having these conversations and then those bills get passed and then that's what the therapists and people are using. So you're informing so much. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so proud to be talking to you right now. This is <laughs> oh, so cool. You're making yeah, well, it's just you're very impactful. Me yeah, Thank I mean, <laughs> it's really neat. So I think that's just amazing. And you just explained it so well, like Chantel said. So I think, yeah, you're, um, the way that you go about it obviously is really wise. And anyway, I'm super appreciative. So, um, Thank you. It's it's an honor for me. I mean, to be able to have work that feels meaningful and fulfilling is truly, it's me that's lucky. Yeah. So. And even the ripple effects of that, like you talked about a minute ago about, you know, suicide or um, that some of these kids that it affects that now they aren't getting those things that it can make their lives better. Like, yes, the bill yeah. is passed and you're all happy about it, but then, but the real effects are these, you know, kids that may have gotten that therapy or, you know, felt like they couldn't be themselves for many reasons. So just wondered if you might want to share like what that looks like on the ground level. So like, um, if there, if a kid comes in and like assuming that maybe he's gay or something and then, a 
yeah. a therapist is told to use conversion therapy on them. I don't know. Do we want to yeah. go into that or I not? I think it's interesting. I want to. I just think that there might be some listeners who don't even know what it is. Like, yeah. I I don't know. Maybe they yeah. do. Or just to say, like, what's the difference now that they're. Yeah, I what, guess the, what they could, what they do, could do and now what they're trying to do. And just so people can see this isn't now that I worry yeah. that some people will be like, well, now the therapist is just going to convince them. Do you know what I mean? Because I know that's, that's yeah. the talk that we hear to make, to ease people's minds about what banning conversion therapy is like, how are they going to support them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so what we wanted to make clear in the bill, and I think the way that we sort of um, made everybody feel comfortable is, so, so the starting point of the bill just says very clearly, you can't seek to change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity as a therapist when you're working with a minor child. Like that's just the prohibition. Like you, you, you can't tell them they're not who they are. You can't try to change it. If they come in and say, I'm gay, it can't be your job as a therapist to tell them, no, you're not. You're actually straight. Mm -hmm. And let's work in that okay. that way. That's yeah. just not appropriate for a therapist to say. And I actually think most therapists understand that right. and didn't probably even need this sort of a prohibition. But there there are some out there who, um, you know, perhaps needed that clarity in the law. Now, the part that, you know, we sort of gave to offer as um, a concession to sort of um, the legislators who were expressing some concerns on, on behalf of therapists was there's a second part of the bill which sort of goes through in detail the types of questions that are totally fine and, and sort of areas of exploration where a therapist can go um, and not get in trouble with the law because that was sort of the concern we were hearing back is it's all well and fine to say you can't change somebody but is it okay to talk about um, for example um, you know, different levels of um, sort of the the spectrum of um, development through puberty and sort of discussing all of those things and how, um, you know, different things that can happen to your body during that time. Is it okay to talk about that? Is it okay to talk about, you know, somebody's feelings um, towards other people? And so there's a whole list of things we went through that kind of gave therapists a little bit more clarity that this stuff is all totally fine. So long as you're not trying to change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. Of course, we want therapists to be able to explore, um, you know, whatever a child comes in expressing um, a desire to talk about. But we just don't want them to say, you know, I can change you. I can make you not gay. I can make right. you not a trans kid anymore. Um, because if that's who you are, that's a horrible thing to have a therapist say that that's right. something that's capable of change and that they're willing to to sort yeah. of steward you on that path. And even yeah. in this culture, there may be kids that wish they weren't or, and so right. the hope that the therapist can actually help change them is another issue that like, oh, totally. you know, I don't know if there's even any proof that the conversion therapy does anything at all. So, but to, to think that they have that, okay, my parents don't want me to be gay. I don't want to be gay. I don't. And so maybe this therapist can help me not be gay is also really could be really damaging. Yeah, totally damaging. And, and so that would also be sort of prohibited mm -hmm. by this law. Um, even if the child says, I want to, you, you just can't change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not if you want to be a licensed therapist by this. Right. Um, yeah. And I, now, you know, unlicensed therapists, I guess, are free to do whatever they want. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like if the focus is like self-acceptance and whatever, wherever that leads the therapist, whatever questions, as long as they're appropriate, that helps because um, youth adolescence is such a confusing time. So I can see that if they have yeah. these questions, you know, I mean, you've got to really, of course, you know, sometimes you have to jump around, find the right therapist or whatever, but 
you know, you're putting a lot of trust in a therapist, but there's su- such great people to guide kids through this kind of stuff. Cause you know, they're professionals, yeah. but yeah, it makes so much sense. I feel like, okay, if, if that's the goal is to just try to help the kid accept themselves for who they are, wherever the therapist, you know, with their professional knowledge that leads them and show them the support, right. then hopefully they'll be at the best outcome. That's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. It's that's helpful. a good explanation. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, you have yeah, a absolutely. super cool job. I know. I know. So cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I follow Equality Utah on Instagram and I love to see the things you guys are working on and just the kind of oh, the process. Good. So that's really cool. Yeah. There's never any shortage of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always something going on. So I love that you kind of, yeah. it's like you're fighting for people um, and their liberties, kind of like what it crosses yeah. over with ACLU. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. And I think it's neat that you found fulfillment here. Like you were saying, you know, earlier in your story, you probably, when you were crying and you, (laughs) when you got here, like, (laughs) how can I ever find fulfillment here? But it's so neat that, or, you know, you're able to bring your perspectives here and kind of come together with people. And I don't know, I just love, it's kind of like on a small, much smaller scale, what we're trying to do with this podcast, you know, just trying to open up new perspectives and views and give people a little bit more understanding to what a whole different perspective might be than theirs. And it's not that, you know, you need to change your mind or, you know, you need to live like this person or this person, but just learning and hearing. I mean, I've learned so much. I'm yeah. like, holy cow. Yeah, so grateful all for all these the people yeah. yeah, that we've heard from. And I feel like I've learned a lot. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you're right. It's awesome. Nate. Yeah. I, just, I don't know if I said this on the last, last podcast, but Nate was like, your job is so cool. I'm like, um, well, it'd be nice if it was it's a, not job. Really a job. <laughs> it's a hobby and I don't get paid, but yeah. it is cooler than maybe it is, but I, <laughs> yeah, it is a cool thing. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Wish, it wish we could call cool. it a job. <laughs> it's our, uh, yeah, it's kind of a more of a hobby, a yeah. hobby but we love it. It's <laughs> yes, so yes, cool. Yes, we do. Yeah. I I knew that this would be an awesome interview because I just really look up to you and think you're just an amazing person, but this is even better than I thought. I know. And it makes me think maybe we could have you come back some other time and share about some different, um, legislatures. Is that what you'd even call it? I'm so sorry. I feel like I should know more about this. I, I I do care about these things, but I'm like, I don't know the lingo. (laughs) So you can educate us. I would be happy to. Yes, totally. (laughs) Absolutely. Anytime. And even how getting involved, how that helps, you know, how they'll say, call your senator, call your whatever, like how, as just people that live in Utah who do want to help make change or have a, you know, passion for, you know, certain issues, how we can help as well and get involved. Yeah. I would be happy to, this is a great state for that actually, because of, um, for a variety of reasons, our legislature is really accessible to people. And so, um, people's voices really do matter. So, yeah, cool. So, is the best to. way just to reach out to representatives through like calling and emails and? Okay. Yeah, and the best time is right now because they're not in session. Mm-hmm. They they get really busy from January to March. But um, we have a part time legislature, which means that um, when they're not in session, they're back in their communities and they're just like regular people like you and me. They have regular jobs. They're in the grocery stores, the pharmacies, wherever you yeah. know, wherever we all are. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's not like California or D.C. where there are layers and layers of staff. They, it's just them. They all have their cell phone numbers posted um, on the legislative website, and you really can reach out to them. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty I amazing. was actually shocked because we had an issue with my son's passport, and someone told me, oh, you literally just need a call. 
and they'll help push it along because we had like a date we needed to leave and he had filled it out himself and I think he put a wrong number for his social security number or something. And it was so quickly they helped me. It was amazing. Like oh, I was wow. like, really, yeah. are they going to call me? Because I pictured it maybe more like California. I'm like, who am I even calling? And who so quickly someone called me back, wow. said they would contact whoever they needed to contact. And very quickly we got it figured out and got the passport. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I cool. called and left a message once on Mitt Romney's. And then who's, what was the other one? Well, anyway, my flea. <laughs> I guess, oh, yeah. or I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. And I won't go into that, but that I did because I was like, I'm going to call. So <laughs> anyway, it is cool. So that's good to know that it actually gets through to them. Yeah. I didn't know, but I was yeah. like, it does. Yeah. okay. That's well, neat. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yes, we'd love to talk to you again sometime. So, but yeah. sure. All right. And is there any way people, I mean, I know you're on Instagram. Maybe Equality Utah's Instagram um, is probably a good place to follow along Okay. or website. Yes. That'd be great. Okay. So we'll yeah. post that in the show notes so people can link over to Equality Utah and see more of what's going on there. So yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, at the end of our interview, we always ask how you find beauty in life after going through the transitions that you go through. Well, I know I kind of already said this before, but I just think it's that say yes philosophy. You know, we just have to, I try to say yes to everything I can, every opportunity, not just because you never know where it's going to lead you. It probably will lead you somewhere unexpected, um, but also just because we don't know how long we have here. So um, just taking advantage of every opportunity that comes my way is the way I try to live my life. I love that. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's easy to be like, oh, I don't have time or I don't dare. I mean, I fear of whatever. I feel like anything I've, even this podcast, like we were like, should we do this or not? It's like, wow, this has been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you get out of your comfort zone a little bit and yeah, and yeah. it'll be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Marina. We've loved having you on. Yeah. Thank you. I've loved it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribed to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. Find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life is my own I'll start again, the mind is free Take a chance, I won't be wrong yes. Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take the 